This is the Mental Health Movement Podcast, Voice for the Voiceless, a weekly podcast hosted by Chris Milson, a podcast to help break the stigma of mental health and to remind everyone that it is okay to be not okay, and to remind those that they are never alone. Please also note that Chris is not a psychologist or psychiatrist and is speaking from research and experiences. Trigger warning for those for the possible explicit content and language. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Mental Health Movement Podcast, Voice for the Voiceless. I am your host, Chris. Today, I have a very special guest. I have known her for about 20 years now. Went to elementary school with her and uh, still really close friends. Nicole, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, how are you doing today? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm hanging in there. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It means a lot, uh, especially being last minute. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, man, I got you. Um, so today I just kind of wanted to bring Nicole on here, uh, just to share her story, you know, insight of, you know, like we're going to talk about grief, we're going to talk about parents' divorce, so we're going to talk about a couple little conversations, um, that are near to her, um, and myself as well, because I can relate to a lot of her story. Um, so I just kind of want to start off, uh, you know, just a little, a little early in, in your uh, childhood. So your parents divorced when you're about five. When did you start noticing it affecting you? Like, I know for me, my parents divorced around the same age, but I was about eight years old. So when did it start actually affecting you? Like, did you notice any differences in the house or your relationship with your siblings? Well, to be honest with you, um, being in like such a young age, I didn't really notice too much. Um, I just always know me and Victoria always being together. She's my twin sister. If you all don't know that, which you don't because you don't know me, but hi. <laughs> um, I just, I, I feel bad for my mom though, because I remember there was this one time where um, my twin sister and I, we went over to our dad's house and we, and we spent Wednesdays and Sundays with him. And it didn't really seem to affect me. I don't know why I'm just thinking about it, but I remember one time like my dad he had you know his his uh like his wife and they ended up like going into the shower and we ended up calling our mom and we're like mom he's in the shower with her so I feel so bad for my mom because she had to hear us being like no it's okay it's fine they're married it's fine okay bye I'll see you later <laughs> but it was just it was interesting having like two different households to go to but I don't feel like it affected me until later for sure. So for me, um, I feel like, you know, obviously when we were kids, it's, it's great having two Christmases. It's great having two birthdays. Um, now that I'm older, uh, I realize how much it sucks because I, I, you know, I've said it on this podcast before. I've said it in multiple conversations. Um, I wish my parents would have been together growing up because I feel like between the moving, between the, uh several relationships my mom had growing up in the high schools that I went to um it sucks you know I, I feel like divorce uh divorced parents hits everybody differently you know either the mom disappears the dad disappears or one's more toxic than the other and obviously as my listeners know by now and obviously you know um I had an emotionally numb father and uh, a narcissistic mom so for me, uh, 
I had our teacher, Miss Ramsauer, um, when I first met her. Teresa taught me how to tie my shoes. Uh-huh. Um, she was there the day my parents got divorced. I'll never forget that for as long as I live because I remember we went to a parent-teacher conference and they came like separately. It was, it was kind of weird because I stayed there, but both my parents like came there separately. And I remember Teresa just kind of pulling me to the side, always checking on me, making sure I was okay. And she's going to be on this podcast sooner or later, hopefully. Oh, um, good. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. But I always, it's always interesting to hear everybody's perspective and how divorced parents affected everybody differently, just for the fact that some people didn't mind it. Some people, you didn't really see much of a change because, you know, again, you were so young when yeah. it happened. But when you're older, uh, I guess my question for you would be, would you want things to be different knowing how things are now? Like, would you want them to stay together or do you think divorce was the right direction for both of them? You know, Chris, that was a very interesting question because my mom and I, we've had that conversation as of recently where she's been like, I don't know if I did the right thing. I don't know if I should have stayed and worked it out. But just as I'm older and I heard, you know, not really both sides of the story because I'm not super close with my dad, as you know, but on my mom's side, I know she did what she had to do because she wanted more out of the relationship that my father couldn't give her. But it's just crazy because I feel like they're trying to like work things out now. Right. So there's times where they're, you know, trying to, you know, get back together, but then it doesn't work out or they you know, they talk about the past and they talk about the good old times. And then, you know, he leaves her on red and doesn't, you know, the bullshit like that, even with six year olds, everybody leaves you on red. But um, I don't know. It's just, it's for me. I mean, I would have loved to been able to be in one house. Like you said, like I would have been able to like be with my brother, get to know him more, be with my dad, get to know him more. But at the end of the day, like I look back and my relationship with my mom is very close. Like she's one of my best friends besides my twin sister. She is definitely somebody that I can always go to and talk to. So yes, I, I definitely wish we could have all gotten together and been together. But at the end of the day, I want her to be happy. Like I wanted her to be happy. And, and she's a very independent woman now. And she was able to grow from the experience. So I'm very proud of her. But I mean, everybody wants to see their mom and dad, you know, be together. But at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned uh, your relationship with your brother. Like, was that relationship like that before your parents uh, separated or um, did that uh, happen when they did get separated? Like your relationship with your brother, like did that split apart? Honestly, it was like never existing. Right. Like, um, I just remember times going over to my dad's house, like Wednesdays and Sundays, and we'd go over and maybe see my brother for like five, 10 minutes, because he'd either be going to work or he'd be going over to a friend's house or he was, you know, hanging out with his girlfriend. And, and we were also, we're seven years apart. So um, he just had his own life. So as we've gotten older, I feel like we've gotten a little bit closer. Obviously, it's not exactly where I would want it to be, but I've also realized that I can only do so much. Right. I mean, 
I feel like if you always have to constantly engage first, you know, the relationship's always going to be kind of one-sided. Kind of give that energy that you receive, but with a little more effort because you don't want to, I guess, leave them in the dark like they have with you. Um, I know with my brother and I, and I guess my sister now, because my relationship with my sister is pretty much non-existent after the whole thing with my sister. I mean, my mom. Um, but my brother and I, we didn't grow up in the same household either. So like whenever we did see each other, um, it was always kind of like he lived through dad's rules and dad's rules were pretty much non-existent. And my mom was very strict on, on things that he could or couldn't do or how late he stayed out and stuff. And I feel like she used us as a weapon uh, mm-hmm. against each other. Um, and I started noticing that actually recently I, I was talking to my brother about that saying how I feel like our parents used me against Cameron and vice versa and Kayla against me. Um, I've tried to mend that relationship with Cameron and Kayla the best I can. You know, I've apologized for any anger or anything that I've expressed onto them growing up. But, you know, like you were just saying, you, you can only do so much. And I've done what I can as a, an older brother can do. Uh, you know, Cameron, if you do listen to this, you know, uh, like I said, man, always here for you and I love you forever. But, you know, I'm sorry, our relationship can't be stronger than it is, man. But always rooting for you and I'm always here for you. And uh, and I know you feel the same with your brother. Absolutely. Wish your relationship was better with him. I do. So going a little forward in the timeline here, going into like school and like elementary school, middle school, I know you had mentioned before we started recording, um, you started getting really bad anxiety. Yes. So this was back in um, seventh grade. Mm-hmm. I had one friend, his name was Marty, love him. <laughs> he was one of my closest friends. And one day he told me that he was moving. And my sister had a different team. Like, I think she was 6A and I was 6E, if we can all remember that. But um, yeah, so the, li- the lunch times were different too. So I really only had lunch time with Marty and I didn't have it with my sister. So there was times where I would not want to go to school after he, he moved. Like I literally would get sick in the bathroom before he left for school. I would have migraine headaches. Like I, there was this one time I was sitting in class where I literally can only see like people's eyes. I couldn't even see like anything else. And, and that's a real thing. It's, it's creepy now that, you know, I'm an optician now. I know like stuff like that. It was an ocular migraine, but still like it was really intense. Like I had really bad anxiety to the point where my mom, she would take me to the guidance counselor in the mornings to like help me, you know, be okay to go through this, like the school year, because they were afraid that I wasn't going to pass because I kept on wanting to stay at home and I had anxiety. So thank God, you know, my mom was able to talk to the, um, you know, the principal and, and get where I had lunch with my sister, at least. So that way I wasn't ever alone. But I, I always just, growing up and here's another thing guys like I'm a twin so if for some of you that are twins that are listening our relationship is ridiculous like our relationship like this is gonna sound really weird guys but 
I love her so much. Like she's my soulmate. And if it was possible, I would freaking marry her. Like that's how intense it is. But I just feel like since when we were separated, I didn't have somebody to fall back on. I didn't have somebody to, oh, it's okay. I got my sister. I'm fine. I had to be like, oh my God, I'm all alone. What am I going to do? So I feel like that kind of started with my anxiety, like kind of knowing, okay, who am I? And then I don't know. And then my sister was always there. So yeah, it was fun time. So before we uh, get to um, the part of your sister um, moving away, um, want to kind of go back to the anxiety conversation starting as young as it did. Um, do you think uh, that anxiety was attributed to your parents divorcing? Do you think there was a uh, influence there because you didn't have both of them at the same time? I mean, that definitely, definitely probably did happen where it, it took into effect of me. But um, that, being that young, you don't think that. But now looking back, I feel like that that could have definitely been it because I always had somebody to be with and to hold on to and like Victoria was my comfort blanket for sure but now realizing and I always just had my mom too like right. I had my dad you know he he's a great dad like guys don't get me wrong like he's always supported us he's never neglected us he's always been there for us but it was never a relationship that I had with my sister or my mom and I'm working on it but yeah that definitely could have had an effect to it for sure so, okay, so let's move forward to high school. Um, when we finally reconnected with each other, um, I think that was, uh, what, 10th grade? Yeah, yeah, 10th grade. So 10th grade, um, for everybody who knows my story and everybody who knows me, um, ninth grade, uh, I had an unlive attempt. Um, thankfully didn't succeed. Thankfully didn't just become another number or a statistic. Um, when I came to Mitchell High School, uh, I remember I text either it was text or like Facebook messages or not Facebook, MySpace messages yeah, MySpace. <laughs> um, that I told Nicole that I was coming to Mitchell. Oh, I was so excited. And, you know, I don't really remember who I was friends with in elementary school. I know for a fact Nicole was one of them. Um, yeah, you had Valerie and Lindsay too. Right, Valerie, Ciofalo, and Lindsay yeah. Dyer. Yep. It's crazy, I remember their names. I remember them too. Um, but I, I remember coming into Mitchell and I didn't have an identity. I, I was very quiet to myself and, you know, you were going through what you were going through and you kind of, you woke up a lot of my personality that I have now when we were in school going to, uh, going into like senior year where, you know, we would always talk, we would always stay in contact and we always had at least one class together or something yep. creative writing <laughs> <laughs> and I always felt like you were somebody I can always fall back on and always be consistent with um did you ever have a hard time in high school like socially or personally like with your identity or anything or is it just kind of one of those things you coasted through because I know some people I asked in high school are like it's a blur I don't really remember but people like me, I remember I was literally nothing all four years of high school. Let me stop you right there. You were not nothing. Fair enough. You're something to me. <laughs> you really were. Um, but no, like I had, you know how everybody has their own cliques and stuff. Like I was never a popular person. Same. I just kind of was popular in my own group. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but I had a really, really best friend named Sam. Like I loved her. She was like my sister. We had notebooks. We shared everything together. And 
she really was like she was through all my classes we went to lunch together so if there wasn't Victoria I had Sam so it was okay but I I feel like in high school like and as you knew like I know we're kind of backtracking but like I grew up being a Jehovah's Witness so when I was in high school like I was still being a Jehovah's Witness and I had to act a certain way look a certain way be a certain way like so to be honest, high school was my playground. I had a lot of fun there. Um, I was able to be who I wanted to really be instead of feeling like I had to be a certain way. So um, I'm sorry if I'm like rambling. No, I him like I but no, like I, I really had a good time with, you know, a few of my close friends that I had, but I definitely, I, I'd say there were some struggles, you know, like there was a whole thing of like, you like somebody, but they don't like you back because you're in a different, like, they're popular and you're not or yeah. vice versa or you always had that oh I wish I went to the prom because I never went to my prom Same. never went to homecoming never went to prom I wasn't allowed it, it was like nope stay away back away second like it wasn't like anything fun that I could do so I missed out on a lot of things and to be honest like it's really messed me up to even now like growing so let's talk about the Jehovah's Witness mm -hmm. for a second um so for the listeners and for myself, what is a Jehovah's Witness like? And I'm not here to blasphemy anybody. So if you are a Jehovah's Witness, fantastic. I support you. I'm glad that you love it. It's just not for everybody. So this is not me bashing it. It's just more of, you know, a Jehovah's Witness is somebody that follows Bible principles. You really always, you know, do it by the book. And that's really kind of where the expression started. So, you know, if in the rules in the book where it's talking about like men don't lie with men that's why they get a little bit weird with you know gay people and things like that because they really follow principles of the bible so no christmas no because it's a pagan holiday no halloween because it's satan's holiday for sure which is my favorite holiday by the way because i'm like yeah halloween <laughs> but um celebrating your own birthday you couldn't do that because it'd be like yourself idolizing yourself so there was a lot of things growing up and see my dad he got out of the religion so when I was with my mom we would be at meetings and going out to service which out to service means you know oh those Pascade Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on our door <laughs> that's basically what we were doing but we were just trying to you know tell everybody about the good news but now looking back like I just it I mean it did help me get out of my shell it did help me be able to talk to people and and like have empathy and and you know get to know people and just kind of like help people so I do appreciate that aspect but it's just it was very you have to be a certain way like you cannot date somebody that is not a Jehovah's Witness because that it, they're worldly they're going to influence you not to be a Jehovah's Witness they're going to you know kind of make you stray away so I got out of that when I was like 20 years old and uh, I got disfellowshipped because I wasn't repentant for having sex with my fiance hmm. yeah wow mm -hmm. so <laughs> I appreciate the positive aspects of it because i feel like everybody i've talked to uh in a religion-based conversation um offers some sort of positive so i do appreciate that aspect yeah so for me uh i didn't grow up with like 
any any kind of religion really um and obviously for for those of you who are in the group that listen to this podcast you know i, I try to like stray away from those kind of conversations just because everybody's beliefs clash against each other in one way or another we don't talk about religion or politics right <laughs> and i feel like one of the biggest things for me growing up with par- uh, my mom's parents were very judgmental mm-hmm. and they were very heavy on religion growing up and always try to push it on me and I remember going to their house if I was wearing like a band t-shirt or whatever it was or I wore a hat or just whatever it is it was always like kind of like a disapproval uh look in their face or they always made comments and um they don't do it as bad as they do it uh did it when I was a kid but they're still very much judgmental, uh, backhanded compliments about my size or, you know, I've always felt like religion has that judgment in there um, that casts like kind of that black cloud over uh, over religious use. You know, obviously not everybody. Yeah. Um, I know some really great people like Santi. Very, he was very religious and very, his relationship was strong with God. But, you know, it's it's not for everybody. And, you know, uh, hearing from you, you know, it, it took you till you were 20 uh, to get yourself out of that, uh, something that you just didn't agree with anymore or your beliefs didn't align with theirs. I, I always feel like it's kind of like a double standard, standard with religion. You know, they they love and accept everybody until you don't align with their beliefs. And yeah. that's always been something that has deterred me from following a religion. Um, I believe in karma. I Me believe too. in energy. Me too. And, you know, again, for anybody who listens, this is not a knock at your religion. If you have any beliefs, I- I'm really happy that you do. So I feel like it's most, it's very important that you believe in something, whether mm-hmm. it's a higher power, whether it's God, whether it's Allah, whoever, you know, I, I don't judge anybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry to no, interrupt. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, but I still, I still believe in Jehovah as God and Jesus and Satan. It's just, I'm not strict when it comes to things. I don't beat myself up going, oh my God, I thought of an impure thought. I'm a bad person, you know, like, and I don't believe in hell. Like, I don't believe that people are burning in hell, even though I say, hey, fuck you, go to hell. (laughs) I'm bad. (laughs) But um, no, I just, everybody has their, like, they're entitled to who they think or how they feel or who they believe in. Like nobody's here to tell you you're wrong, you know, definitely not. And, you know, it's, it's a hard conversation to have with a lot of people too, because I feel like the religion, the religious community and, you know, the LGBTQ uh, community clash a lot. And that's one of the reasons I don't get involved. Um, Just political views or just any beliefs that are outside of my own, just because I don't want to cast any views on anybody for me personally if you're a shitty person i'm going to treat you like a shitty person uh if you're good to me i'm good to you um i give what i'm given karma karma exactly Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's how everybody should be regardless of what they believe in but unfortunately we live not unfortunately unfortunately and fortunately we live in a world where everybody can have their own beliefs because some beliefs are toxic some are not but you know again i don't judge anybody um, and I don't have those conversations for a reason. So let's fast forward to post high school. Um, your sister got married and your sister moved away to Jersey. Tell me what 
what you felt when she told you she was moving to New Jersey? <sighs> See, here's the thing. I introduced them. Right. So I met her husband while I was working at my first optical shop. And I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. Oh my God, too bad I'm engaged. But here's my sister. She's single. And it was cute because I was like, well, maybe she'll, you know, find somebody to be happy with because she just kept on telling me how she hates people and how like everybody was screwing her over. Like basically how I'm telling you that people do that to me. Like that's what she was saying to me. So I introduced her to Daniel and had no fucking clue that he was moving to New Jersey, really. Like I was just like, okay, here, Victoria, have fun. And, uh, you know, they were hanging out and he told her, hey, you know, in like eight months, I'm moving to New Jersey. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's fine because like my relationships never last that long anyway. So I might as well just have some fun. So they ended up falling in love. And then he asked her to move to New Jersey. And the day that she told me, like, eh, like because like she, she literally is my world. She really is like, but I take I look back now because I was so heartbroken. I was resentful. I, I held a grudge to Daniel. I was like, you took my sister away from me. Oh my God. Like even to this day, we joke about it, but I'm like, I don't hate you. Like, it's fine. My sister's happy. I'm happy. Like I want her, if anyone's struggling, I'd rather it be me. You know, I don't want her to struggle. So when she told me she was leaving, I was just, I kept on begging her. I'm like, please don't leave. Just don't go just don't go. I'll, I'll be with you instead. Like, don't like, let's not like, you don't really want to go because of us. Like, come on. And she's like, Nicole, I really love him. And I was like, you know what? I can't be selfish. I got to let her go. So I did. And the day she left, it was the hardest thing. And I'm choking back tears now because it still is very hard, you know, because we are so close. Like even I hate going to the airport, but I'm happy and sad to go to the airport because it's like, yeah, I get to pick up my sister, but then I have to take her back. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things. But one of the positive things that I take from this is that with her living her own life and me living my own life, we were able to create our own identities. Because as you know, with twins, we're just always together. It's Victoria and Nicole, Victoria and Nicole. This is not Victoria and Nicole. It was always Victoria and Nicole. So with her, you know, venturing to New Jersey and she found jobs and she, you know, she ended up, you know, getting engaged with Daniel and traveling and all that stuff. I was able to build who I was because I literally had an identity crisis. I did not know who I was. I was always Victoria's shadow. I was always next to Victoria. Didn't really know too much about myself. I just went along with, you know, her. So it really hurt when she left and this day, you know, it still does hurt when she's like, I wish that I could just have dinner with her sometimes and just, you know, like, okay, I love you. Go hang out with your husband. I'll go to my house and stuff. But I just really value the growth that I was able to achieve with her being able to grow herself too. Absolutely. So. Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the identity crisis because like listening to you say like it, it was Victoria and Nicole, Victoria, Nicole, and Nicole, Victoria. It's really funny you say that because like thinking back to like pre-Daniel um, when I hung out with you guys, it's, it was literally like that. I told you. <laughs> it is. I was just like thinking about it. I'm like, 
Holy shit. It is. It's never Victoria and Nicole. <laughs> right. It's Victoria and Nicole. It's like, hey, I want to hang out with Victoria. Nicole's coming too. <laughs> yeah. And um, you guys have definitely, the identity is outstanding. Like, you can always tell who's who because you guys just have such a unique personality about you guys. Like, you know, you've always been like super, um, what's the word? Super cartoony. You know, like you're always like bubbly, always, you know, uh quoting spongebob oh and, hell yeah uh quoting rocco and victoria's like that too but like uh i feel like victoria i feel like she was always like the the, the rock steady victoria always like was. the protect she was like, had the protector uh personality and she was the like the smarter one <laughs> right i was the street smart she was the book smart yeah, yeah and, and always it always went well together hell and yeah. uh i i love you guys both you guys are awesome i love you um and I, and I always, always appreciated how, how different both of you were. Like, you know, sometimes you can't really tell twins apart. Like, uh, visually joking aside, uh, like personality, sometimes it's like the same personality. You guys have 100% different personalities from each other. I don't know. I still say we're 95% because I tell her that all the time. Like, she's a little bit more outgoing than me like she'll travel and she goes places like she's going to fucking england right. you know and and london and stuff and they're like hey you want to come i'm like fuck no <laughs> like, <laughs> i don't want to be on an airplane that long right. so like she's a little bit more adventurous than me but you know i want to just travel the states before yeah. i go outside the country because uh, i got an inner ear problem and being on an airplane for a very long time does not sound appealing to me right mm -mm. that's fair yeah um I've just always, um, what's the word um, I was thinking? Oh, when you are when you were talking about the, the airport, when you went to a pick her up. Yeah. I love every time that you guys go to the airport when you record it and you get the reactions. Like I, I, and I specifically remember, um, I think it was Victoria's video when she was waiting for you at the airport and she's just like jumping up and down like it's Christmas, like Nicole, and she yeah. like ran up to you. Uh, I just, I love the relationship you guys have. And I definitely can understand wanting to like sometimes like, hey, let's go get lunch. And, you know, she's in a different state now. And I, I, I can't even imagine how hard that is. It's so fucking hard. I don't even know why I'm still here, but something's just telling me, Nicole, you got to still stay here because I'm almost a licensed optician. Right. Like I'm an apprentice optician right now. I literally have three tests to pass and I'm done. So, and unfortunately my, my, uh, licensing, it doesn't just travel with you. It's only your license in Florida. So I've worked so fucking hard that I don't want to just throw it away. Even though some days I'm like, I hate my job. Ugh, I'm moving to New Jersey. Let's go kids. Like, no, I just, uh, I just know that I got to still keep working here. And plus my mom's here, you yeah. know, I love my mom and she's getting older and I want to be there for her and my dad, and he's not doing very well either. And I just feel like I got to hold the fort down sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, when I when I lived in New Jersey for a year, I a part of me did that to try and, I guess, uh, essentially reset. And I was very hesitant about leaving because I didn't want to leave my mom. But as everybody knows how bad that relationship was, I had to come back here. And I don't think I have like any kind of those any kind of those ties with family right now that could say it's holding me back in a sense but you know my grandma's getting older my grandparents are getting older uh my mom's side my dad's side mm -hmm. um just for the confusion on that sentence um and i and i don't think i would move away until 
until they went on just because they're they're older and i don't want to be in a different state when heaven forbid that happens yeah um so speaking on the last conversation and i know this was probably the heaviest part of this conversation for you and i um just because you've experienced loss i've experienced loss and i feel like you and i can relate uh, on this conversation just because of how heavy it is so you had a friend, Gray, that you were in a uh, relationship with. Yeah. And he unalived himself, unfortunately. Yeah. And with that loss comes grief. Can you tell us, for for you, how how have you been able to cope with, with the grieving process? Because I know it's different for everybody. And you don't have to go into too much detail if you don't want to. Um, like I said, I wanted to be very careful on how any of this was worded just because I know it's a sensitive subject. Um, but I feel like it's best to talk about these kind of things to heal. Absolutely. So whatever you're comfortable with sharing, tell us, tell us how you dealt with the loss. Um, so just kind of giving you a little bit of background. So Gray was a Jehovah's witness. And uh, his dad always told him, don't go over to Nicole. She's a bad girl, which I was. I was a bad girl, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> so I remember seeing him as we walked by like assemblies, like an assembly is when all the congregations get together in one area and then they have a big thing and then they have a lot of like topics and stuff. So all different congregations are all brought together. So the, they would have an assembly once a year, a convention like once a year too. So we'd all get together and uh, I would see him. And I didn't even know really who he was. All I knew is I, I had a crush on him because I'm like, wow, you know, he's really cute. He's attractive. Okay. But then um, literally like two years ago, he ends up finding me on Instagram. And I was like, I was like looking and I was like, who the hell is this person? Like, I don't know who this is. So I was like scrolling through his pictures and I recognized him. I was like, oh my God, this is the guy that I liked growing up and being a Jehovah's Witness. So we started talking and we were reminiscing and stuff. And like, of course, I, I'm the type that goes from zero to 100, like in a relationship. I'm like, hey, you like me? Let's go a thousand miles an hour. It's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll put a blindfold on and then we'll figure it out later. So him and I, we went a thousand miles an hour. It was around Valentine's Day. So he asked me, he's like, what are you doing for Valentine's Day? And I was like, oh, I'm supposed to meet this guy over in Orlando. He's like, fuck no. He's like, I'm coming down because he was in Miami for like a business trip or something because he was a graphic designer and a graphic artist. So he ends up driving all the way, like from Miami all the way up just to have Valentine's Day with me. And, uh, our first date was at Barnes and Nobles in Clearwater. And I just remember seeing him and like, I like guys, this is hard for me, but like, like I remember seeing him and we, we hung out and, and we just walked and we talked and we went back into my car and we just, we had a good time and we just related to things. And we, we had a lot of things in common and, uh, like I said, we went from zero to 100. After that date, we were dating. We were like, okay, to the point where he lived in St. Pete and I didn't want him having to keep going from St. Pete to Palm Harbor. 
So I basically was like, Hey man, come live with me. So he came to live with me and, uh, you know, going a thousand miles an hour is you don't see shit until that one day that fucking hit, you hit the wall and you're like, hold on, that's a red flag. And, uh, there's a red flag and there's a red flag. Okay. So we got to backtrack. So we ended up breaking up and, you know, he was really devastated. I was devastated, but I was like, look, we have to take things slower. This just went too fast. So then the next time he got back into my life, but this time he did it to get back at me. So he made me believe that he loved me and I was still the one for him. And then all of a sudden, when I got close to him, he broke my heart and he's like, that's, that's how you made me feel. So I was like, okay, cool. Fantastic. So the third time that we got together was actually um, last year, it was last year around April around April, May. And uh, we we just, we wanted to re-get to know each other. And at this point, we were two completely different people. He was, you know, he was bipolar. Um, he, he had, um, you know, anxiety, depression himself. He had identity crisis, to be honest too, because I'm telling you, growing up being a Jehovah's Witness, not knocking it guys, but you really don't focus on you. You focus on Jehovah's kingdom, helping others. You don't take that minute and go, Hey, hold on for a second. I need to take a step back and breathe. So we, we had identity, you know, crisis where we didn't really know who we were and we wanted to be accepted from people. So he got into a bad group of people and, uh, he get his hands on anything he could put in his mouth, basically drugs, fucking weed, alcohol, like anything, like anything, you name it. And, uh, I just, I, I saw him as being somebody different. Like he wasn't the same gray that I knew. So um, yeah, just to kind of fast forward. Um, I just, I, he, he just, he wasn't the same person. Um, and, and I always felt like I was trying to fix him. I always felt like, why are you doing what you're doing? Like, you want to be happy. Like, let's be happy. Why are you having to like pretend to be somebody you're not? Cause he would literally confide in me and be like, Nicole, I'm so jealous of you because you can say no to people. Cause like we go out together and people would be like, Hey, let's have a drink. And I'm like, no, I got to work in the morning. And, and he's just like, I'm so like impressed with you that you don't cave under peer pressure and I'm like well that's something I learned you know you got to take care of yourself so I remember him and I we always had something going on like we always had like back and forth being like me telling him that I loved him and he would tell me he loved me but he didn't feel like he was good enough for me so there was a couple of times where I actually like had him come over to my house because he was like withdrawing from drugs and I literally sat there and I took care of him like he was burning up having a fever and I would literally like while he was asleep I would pat him down with like a cold washcloth just to make sure he was okay just give him a place to lay down and just relax because he was constantly on the go and all with his with his buddy they were partying doing all kinds of shit I just that's not my scene and if it is for you that's cool man but that's just not my scene so we ended up splitting and um, I find out, and it's coming up actually September. September is when I found out that he ended up jumping off a 12 foot 
story building. And I was at work when I got that conversation, that call, and it was from one of our mutual friends. And I literally was in disbelief. So like how you're talking about grief, I, it's, it, it was true. Like the, the five stages of grief, it all hits you. Like you're, you're in denial. You're in denial. You're like, no, he, he couldn't have. He, he, no, he's still here. He's not gone. He's not gone. So I was just at the stage where I was like, no, he's going to pop up somewhere. He's going to, he's going to be somewhere. I'm going to see him. No, this isn't happening. And then I get really depressed and angry. And then there's days where I was like, I got to tell great, uh, wait, he's not here anymore. So I constantly to this day, guys, battle with this, like to the point where I didn't even know he was suicidal, had no clue. And apparently it was planned. I had no fucking clue. Uh, if I would have known, I would have held him harder. I would have held him closer. You know, I would have told him that I was there for him. I always wanted to help him, you know, but it's true. You can't, you can't help people that don't want to be helped. It's just, it's, it's putting too much energy into something that you can't fix. And that's who I am. I want to take care of people. So to this day, I struggle. Like a couple of nights ago, I had a dream about him. I, I have dreams off and on where he tells me that he misses me and that he wished he didn't kill himself and that, you know, he wants to spend time with me and I'll spend time with him in my dreams. So just with that, I started becoming suicidal. I never was that way before. And it scared me because I grew up with depression, but I knew like, okay, this is what it is. I'm going to get by. It's fine. But after he passed, I was thinking like, did he have the right idea? what is in this fucking world? Like, I don't have good relationships with anybody. Like, you know, being in a relationship with, with people, like besides my family, like I, relationships never seem to work out for me. I'm constantly in the same kind of job field. Like I don't have much of a change. Like I was getting really hard on myself and really down on myself. And there'd be times I'd be driving. And I'm like, Hey, let's just drive off this cliff. And then there was days where I was laying in bed and my mind was like, hey, let's just cut our wrists and go sit in the bathtub. And I'm like, why? Why am I thinking like that? And it scared me and I would cry and I'd be scared. And then just one point, I ended up like needing to go see a psychiatrist just to see what kind of options I had. And I know we're going to get there, but, um, you know, I was seeing a, a therapist too, but I felt like therapy for me it would help me like in that moment for a few days. And then I'd go back to being like, oh my God, oh my God, hysterical. So I ended up having to go to a psychiatrist. So so while we catch our breath here, um, take a take a sip of water for him. <laughs> so I feel a little better. Um, water, water, I need some water. Um, so for, for everybody, with this conversation, the heaviest part of this podcast. Um, <clears throat> I just want to throw this out there for anybody who has dealt with grief, has dealt with suicidal ideologies or ghost thoughts. Uh, starting with grief, don't let anybody, and I mean anybody, tell you how to grieve and tell you how long to grieve. I have two very close people 
I had, excuse me, two very close people in my life that passed away. One during the pandemic and one when the pandemic was closing. And one of those happened to be a brother to me. And I, I have his picture next to my work desk and I look at it every single day. Um, I would trade my life for his if it meant his kids seeing his their father again. And honest to God. And that's not me speaking suicidal. That's me saying that he deserved uh, longer on this earth. And for the suicidal conversation, for somebody who has un uh, attempted unaliving himself twice, um, I don't want anybody to take that statement as as me bragging because it's not it's not a brag worthy thing. It's not a time in my life I'm proud of, but it happened and it taught me a lot about myself and it turned me into what I am today. I, I'm a warrior and. I fight alongside with everybody else who's going through anything. With suicide, uh, for anybody who has friends that put up that front like they're really strong and not going through anything, for the ones that are really quiet, people don't talk about being suicidal. It just happens. Like you just heard moments ago, it, you don't have any idea unless you know what signs to look out for. Um, the people that feel suicidal and people that are suicidal won't tell you that they're feeling suicidal. They'll just do it or they will attempt to do it. And hoping that they're unsuccessful nine times, uh, 10 times out of 10. But unfortunately, and I, I preach this message every single time on this, on this podcast, the numbers are always climbing in, in men's suicide, uh, especially, and you know, this isn't a, a comparison, comparing trauma statement. It's just what the numbers are. Men's suicide is at an all-time high. So if you know men in your life that are constantly working their asses off to support their family or constantly building a foundation under themselves and uh, don't have any time for just themselves, check in. Always check in with people you care about because you don't know what everybody's going through at all times. And I've said on this podcast before, a lot of people don't know what it means to be there for people. You can say you're there for somebody, but you got to be about being there for somebody because it, it takes a lot to be a good friend. It really does. And a simple, how are you? Uh, I'm thinking about message is, is so much. And it means so much to people like me, people like Nicole, people like Victoria, Caleb, whoever it is. Those small messages mean a lot to people that, don't know that they're struggling or are numb to the fact that they're struggling, just please check in on your people to avoid this. Because unfortunately, suicide is a very real conversation and a very real uh, topic that I wish we didn't have to have conversations about. But we're at a point where numbers are through the roof and this conversation needs to be said out loud uh, more than once a podcast. So. Again, check in on your people. And Nicole, I, I just thank you so much for being able to be that vulnerable because uh, honestly, not many people are willing to be that open about a loss. So I, I appreciate you showing us your heart because I know how hard that was for you. So I do appreciate and I do love you. I love you. Um, so going into the therapy conversation, let's start there before we get to the psychiatric part. 
what was your what has been your experience with therapy and I guess what are your feelings on therapy? I had a therapist uh I had a therapist for like almost a year but she she was like closer to where you live than where I live so it was kind of hard to like schedule a time to drive down and see her so I saw her for almost a good year. Um, she did help me, not saying therapy was terrible or anything, but she did help me. But I did notice that when I was in therapy, that I would feel good for that day, or I would feel good for that couple days. And then all of a sudden, I would feel bad again. So for me, she, I, I even talked to her, I was like, look, I think I need to see a psychiatrist, I think I need to be on medication, like, my depression's getting really bad, we, you know, I was talking to her about, you know, when Gray passed, and she was such a wonderful person, where the moment, like, I found out there, that Gray passed away, I ended up telling her, hey, I need to see you, and she dropped everything, and she had a day off, but she came in, and she just sat with me, and she, she let me talk, and she was a wonderful therapist, so for me, I love therapy. I love talking to somebody. It really helps, you know, self-reflect and help you build your goals. Because for me, having an identity crisis where I didn't know who I was, I really didn't know where I, like, and there's still some days where I don't know who I am and, and where I'm going to be. And, and I feel like I'm doing things wrong and I'm very hard on myself, but for me, therapy helps me and I'm going to be seeing my new therapist. This is going to be my second time uh, on Thursday. So I'm really excited to see her. She's in the same plaza with my psychiatrist. So it's a very easy drive. They're like five minutes from my house. So definitely guys, like we, like Chris has said before, we know therapy is not for everybody. And we're not here to say, Hey, you need therapy. But if you're thinking about it, try it. It's, it's definitely, there's nothing wrong with reaching out for help, but especially if you feel like you want to improve in your life and, and set goals for yourself. It just kind of helps you to be able to guide yourself a little bit better and, and set goals. So I, I loved my therapy, you know, and I, I continue, you know, I at least try to see my therapist, my new therapist now, at least once a month, because I don't have health insurance, you know, I have to pay for it out of pocket. And let's be honest, guys, we know everything nowadays is super expensive, even freaking going to the grocery store, you walk in with one thing, you walk out with like five things, and it was $100. So but guys, if you're ever feeling like you need to speak to somebody or you're going through a hard time, like I know Chris has mentioned this before, but you guys, we're not alone. Like I know that I'm even guilty of it too. When somebody's like, Hey, you're not alone. I feel that way too. I'm like, no, you don't like, you don't understand me. Like we're all going through something. Like if we take a step back and think everybody is going through some type of something. And I feel like that can kind of just make us feel like we're a little bit more human where we all come together. So just if you're ever thinking about therapy, definitely try it for yourself. I have a, had a very positive experience. Thank God. I know my sister, I know you had bad therapy experiences, but for me, I, the two therapists that I've been to, they've been wonderful and they were able to help me. And my newest therapist, she's, she's like, I'm going to make you that badass bitch like you are. And I was like, yeah. So I'm excited about therapy. So um, just just to also throw this out there, too, since Nicole already said it, uh, that therapy isn't for everybody. 
Um, I also want to throw this out there too, that um, there are different forms of therapy that doesn't mean just one-on-one -on -one with a psychologist. You know, there's group therapy, there's, uh, there's physical, physical therapy, you know, like going to pool and, you know, doing that kind of therapy. It's therapy is subject, uh, subjective. I feel like it could go anywhere, be, uh, be from a life coach to a psychologist, you know, it's not going to look, healing is not going to look the same, uh, for everybody, you know, and for those of you that are unsure about, uh, therapists, you know, ask questions on your first session, you know, ask them what topics they cover, what kind of therapy they offer. And, um, you know, just always ask questions in your therapy sessions, you know, what can I do better? How can I hold myself accountable? Uh, how can I establish certain boundaries between the problems in your life and yourself? Um, my therapist, Jess, and I, and I shout her out every single time on, on this podcast, because I truly think that she is a really big reason that this podcast exists. And, you know, Santi's influence uh, as well is really heavy in this podcast, too. Um, I think when you have somebody that believes in you so much and can reach into your soul and show you how great of things you can accomplish. I'm sure you were. Yeah. And you have to be willing to put in that work. And I know that's a really big misconception in therapy. You can't go to one session and snap. It's everything's better. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, I've been in therapy for three years and I have progressed tremendously, but I also struggle with a lot of things that I've had to uncover in those three years. So for those of you who are unsure about therapy, ask questions, uh, ask what kind of therapy is offered, ask for alternatives. And this is going into my next part of, of this conversation is your psychiatrist. So um, again, I want to remind everybody, I am not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist. Uh, I don't recommend medicine or anything to anybody because that's just, uh, I feel like that's a legal issue, I believe. Um, so for you, um, your psychiatrist, what, what kind of medicine did they prescribe you? And do you see a difference in your everyday uh, now that you're taking uh, your antidepressants, right? Yeah, I'm on Prozac. So um... I remember my first psychiatrist appointment. I was very nervous because you know how it's like, it's like they're writing everything about you. You're like, oh, I don't want to be crazy, but I feel this <laughs> way. And you don't want them to think you're crazy either. But I just don't care, guys. Like I'm, I literally just walked into that office and uh, she's just phenomenal. She is one of those people that you can openly talk to without feeling like, I have to say this so she doesn't think this like she's seen it all she's worked in like mental health like mental institutions and she's she's literally like you tell me anything you tell me everything it's not gonna phase me and I was like okay bet open up and uh oh I said bet sorry I'm like sorry kids generation is just not me but um no so I remember sitting there and uh I don't I literally went from smiling to crying, to smiling, to crying, to smiling, to crying. And I was like, great, she's going to think I'm bipolar. Like, here we go. But I was like, you know what? If I am bipolar, great. You know, I'll be able to know what's going on with me. So after our session, it was like a good, you know, hour. And uh, it was my first time with her. And she literally looks at me and she's like, you are severely depressed. And I was like, 
do you think I'm bipolar? Like, because I'm literally one minute I could be happy and then I'm crying, I'm happy, I'm crying. She's like, no, you just have a lot of things going on. Mm. She's like, you're severely depressed. She, she even told me, she's like, how do you feel about medication? Like, she wasn't quick to be like, hey, are you, here's a prescription. Okay, bye. She was like, how do you feel about it? And I said, well, I'm here and I want to make a change and I want to try it at least because I know, you know, medicine's not for everybody. And that's what we're saying here. We're not trying to tell you, hey, go out and take some drugs to help yourself. Like, but I was struggling so much from, you know, the grief, the loss that I had, you know, relationships failing, me trying to move forward with my life and just feeling like things just never seemed to work out for me that I just spiraled and I wanted help. I didn't want to feel like I was going to do any self-harm to myself because that wasn't me. I have my twin sister. I have my mom. I have family and friends that are rooting for me. And I don't want to, I don't want to give up. Like, I want to keep pushing forward. I know that my life is going to change in five, two, three years, you know, like it's, it's what you make it. Like Hannah Montana said, life is what you make it. So, but, um, so she's like, how do you feel about medication? I said, all right, yeah, I want to try it. She's like, I'm going to put you on a low dose. She's like, we're going to start this and I'm going to see you back in a month. And I was like, okay. So I was taking my Prozac and at first I was so scared. <laughs> I remember calling my sister, I'm like, Victoria, I'm scared. I'm going to have to take my medication. What if it makes me nervous? What if this, but my Prozac is an antidepressant and it helps with anxiety. Cause she's like, okay, you got a little bit of anxiety going on. She's like, but you're definitely more on the depressed side. And I was like, yeah, I can totally agree with you. So I remember taking my first dose and I was like, why was I so scared? Like nothing happened. I was like nothing. And then as I was taking it, you know, my body was getting used to it. Like I did have like some side effects, like a headache and I felt kind of buzzed and I felt like high one point and I was just like laughing at it. And I'm like, it's okay, Nicole. Like we're, tr we're just experimenting with this. We're seeing what happens. So after, you know, uh, after a month I went back and I was like, yeah, it seems to be doing well. Everything's fine. And she's like, okay, I'm going to give you three months, you know, prescription and then I'll see you back. And, uh, I remember, I think it was like another month went by and all of a sudden I started to feel back to how I was. I was having those dark thoughts again. I was crying a lot. I was not motivated. I was just wanting to lay in bed and not wake up. Like I was just going through a lot. And I ended up reaching out to my, uh, my psychiatrist and she's wonderful. Like I sent her an email and she immediately called me the next day when I sent her an email. She's like, what's going on? And I was like, this is how I'm feeling. I just don't know what's going on with me. She's like, I think we need to increase your meds. She's like, let's go ahead and increase it to 40. And then of course me being like, I'm kind of scared to jump 20 more milligrams. Let's at least go another 10. She's like, that's fine. So I'm sitting pretty at 30. So 30 milligrams of Prozac and I feel good. Like there's some days, you know, obviously when you take medication, it's not going to fix everything. You still got to put the work in. You got to put the effort in to try to, you know, help yourself. But it just takes the edge off for me. It, it makes me not want to go, hey, let's just do this. Hey, let's let's just not. Hey, let's do this. Like it makes me feel like, hey, Nicole, I'm your new friend and I got you and I'm here to take care of you. So for me and my experience, I really do enjoy Prozac. Am I going to be on it for the rest of my life? Who knows? And if I am, good, because I want to be the best version I can be.
you know, uh, there's one quote that uh, sticks out to me that um, one of the most recent podcasts I did with Sydney was treat the cause, not the symptom. Mm -hmm. And I hold that quote very close to the chest because I feel, you know, kind of kind of like you do on the whole unsure about medicine at first. Again, and I've had this conversation many times with people. um, Medicine helps, you know, some people more than others. Um, Me personally, I would never uh, take medicine just to feel better. Um, Again, that's just me. Um, If it helps you, great. Um, I just, I wish there were more people in this community that would try to treat the cause and not just say, oh, well, you're depressed here. Here's X amount of milligrams of whatever we're going to prescribe you. And the reason I have this mentality is seeing these commercials when they talk about antidepressants saying that all these side effects that are like suicidal thoughts and X, Y, Z, it's just like, you're not supposed to counter it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and again, this isn't knocking people who take medicine. Um, I just, I don't believe in the whole big pharma. Uh, I don't believe in lining their pockets with anything. So um you know i'll leave my opinion at that but i'm glad that it helps you and i hope that it continues to help you and i really do appreciate you saying that you still have to put in the work you do um it's not going to fix everything right and you know uh for example somebody like my mom she's been taking xanax her entire life like i've never seen her without those pills um when she doesn't take them she's completely off edge like just um her personality immediately changes but she's an example of somebody who never put in the work to get better. All right. She was the type of person that just kind of bowed down or bowed out to whatever medicine was uh, prescribed to her. And that's the end of it. And, um, you know, medicine's there to treat those extreme causes to, like you said, take you off edge. Yeah. Um, but you shouldn't have to rely on medicine just to feel better. And like Nicole said, you gotta be willing to put in that work. And that goes for therapy. That goes for taking medicine. That goes for every aspect of life. Um, and like I was mentioning about the different types of therapy, you know, there's there's coaching too. You can find somebody to coach you, like a life coach. I've met several of them, and I've had two of them on on this podcast. And uh, you know, a, a lot of them say the same thing. You you have to be willing to make the changes in your life to get better. You know, and uh, kind of back to the conversation we were having earlier about um, the reason you were grieving you can't help people that don't want to be helped. Yeah. It's, it's just putting your energy into something that's sucking it from you. Yeah. And obviously as human beings, uh, many of us want to be selfless and uh, want to help people, but you also have to be willing to uh, put yourself first once in a while. I know I struggle with that probably every single day of my life. I don't put anybody first. I don't put myself, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't put myself in front of anybody. Um, I put everybody ahead of my own needs all the time. Um, I've done that my entire life, and that's because uh, nobody ever did that for me growing up. So I'm the person I wish I had growing up. And Jess forever chirped that in the back of my mind, and I f- uh, forever remember it because it's it's true. Um, when you're when you're in therapy, you dig up a lot of things from your past, but you also gain a lot from therapy. So I will always preach therapy to people um, if they're going through a really hard time in life. Some people don't need it. Some some are just, you know, like my friend Caleb. I, I love him to death, but some people are like him where just brush off your problems and, you know, move on with your day. But I 
me personally, as a man, as a, a man who has seen these numbers of suicide climb every single day, um, the man up mentality of the 80s, of the early 90s, that shit needs to go away because you don't rub dirt in trauma. Um, you don't rub dirt in grief. It's it's not healthy. It turns you into a, uh, a darker version of yourself when you start getting older and you start developing those feelings and they get stronger. Um, but again, I, I'll never force the conversation to therapy on somebody. I'll entertain the conversation, but I won't force it. Um, so before I, uh, the end of every podcast, I like to read a quote uh, just on whatever subject that we happen to cover. Um, I had one quote ready um, for a gentleman that I had, was going to have on a podcast, but instead I, I got the lovely Nicole to, to take um, his place. And I'm really grateful because thought this was a really good conversation i enjoyed it yeah and i'm really happy that you were willing to be as open about everything as you were so i do appreciate you i feel like everybody should be like i know it's hard to open up to people but i feel like you should always have that person that you can talk freely to yeah you know? absolutely and I, I i'd like to believe you're you're that person for me um when i need it so I, I do appreciate you um so this comes from a miss uh lisa uh a, Olivera? Olivera? Oh my God. Olivera? Olivera. <laughs> uh, Olivera. <laughs> um, uh, just because no one else can heal or do your inner work for you doesn't mean you can, should, or need to do it alone. Um, stressing that last sentence a lot uh, doesn't mean you can, should, or need to do it alone. Um, guys, speaking out is about the strongest thing you can do on bullying, on suicide, on mental health struggles on certain people's rights and you know all the conversations that are going on in today's world speaking out about things you don't agree with uh, whether it's a positive uh take or not i always feel like expressing yourself in any capacity is healthy to get whatever's off your chest because if you bottle it up then it turns worse and turns worse so again i encourage everybody to speak out um in any situation um, with that being said, before we close out today's podcast, uh, I just want to thank everybody so much for uh, blowing up these last couple podcasts. I am officially a Spotify affiliate. Um, and what that means is I can um, play ambassador ads through my podcast and tell everybody why I love the podcasters website for Spotify. Um, so I'm really excited to get those prompts and to get them in these podcasts because it's a, a lot of things are growing in this podcast. and there's bigger things on the way, um, have something really big for the podcast here soon where I'm going to be on a network and get more exposure. Um, so I'm really excited for that. Have some awesome guests, uh, coming up as well. Um, so again, thank you guys so very much for your support. Um, Nicole, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. It means, means the absolute world to me. Absolutely. Um, and until next time, guys be well, and always be gentle with yourselves until then take care guys.